If you have your Bible, you might like to continue with me in the reading of the New American Standard Version's account of the resurrection of Lazarus. The 11th chapter of the Gospel of John is one of the most important chapters in all of the Bible. Uh, around this great seventh sign of Jesus recorded by John and the corresponding discourse that follows it, uh, there are the statements regarding his deity which are so critical and so important uh, to the Christian's belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and as the resurrection and the life. Verse 17 following. So when Jesus came, he found that he, that is Lazarus, had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary sat still in the house. Martha, therefore, said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother shall rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. And when she had said this, she went away and called Mary her sister, saying secretly, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she arose quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. The Jews then who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. And so the Jews were saying, Behold how he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of him who was blind have kept this man also from dying? Jesus, therefore, again being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, Remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, 
Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so they removed the stone. Jesus raised up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou heardest me, and I knew that thou hearest me always, because of the people standing around I said it that they may believe that thou didst send me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped round with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Amen. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his word. Let us pray. O God, our Father, we bless you for the gift of this day, for this opportunity for worship, and for the privilege of sharing the gospel with others. We thank you that you are willing to accept the gifts we bring when we present them to you with hearts that love you. And we pray that you will take these and wisely use them to your glory and your glory alone. May they bring much mercy and much blessing to many people. And now, Father, will you make the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts to be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. If I had been there and seen it with my own eyes, I would not have believed it. What makes you think you would have? The man who said those words is Ben Hayden. Some of you watch him on television with his great program, Changed Lives, or you hear him on the radio. I knew him very well when he first came to Columbia Seminary, and I knew his testimony well because he was one of the most astonishing Christian men I've ever met. He was a solid agnostic. He said that in a period of 11 years he had been in a church exactly eight times, and on all eight occasions he had been forced to go to a wedding or to a funeral that was held in a church. And yet he came to believe that God did raise Lazarus from the dead and that Jesus himself was raised from the dead because he was the Son of God. He came to believe it through an experience of suffering and pain and delayed action in answer to prayer. His mother was sick, and in the MD Anderson Cancer and Tumor Research Center out in uh, Galveston in Houston, Texas. He had gone to visit her from Virginia and from the University of Texas where he later was in school. He said that when he looked into her face as she was dying with cancer of the bone, she said, Ben, all of this suffering would be worth it 
if I could only know that you would become a sincere Christian. And he said within a matter of minutes, she was dead. He said, I had been holding her hand and I took it and literally dropped it down in the bed and thought, how could anyone be stupid enough to believe in a God who would let someone suffer like this? And so he hardened his heart. And then, of course, you know the story, some of you, how that as time went by, he became bitter in his opposition to any kind of faith. He married a beautiful Christian girl, a model, and an artist. They had begun to get to the place in their marriage where their marriage was not really happy enough to be called a marriage. bad enough yet to get a divorce, but they lived together. They had gone to Washington, D.C. because he was the publisher of the Kingsport, Tennessee newspaper to a newspaper publisher's convention. Dr. Billy Graham was preaching there. And Ben Hayden said that the group of people in the hotel suite where they were had all agreed that they would go to church the next morning. And he stuck to his guns. He said, I'm not going to church. And they said, don't be a spoiled sport. We've all agreed that we'll go in the morning. He said, I don't care what you've agreed. I'm not going. And they said, well, Ben, is that right? Then he picked up the newspaper and thrashed it with his hand. And he said, if you want to go somewhere, let's go here. Billy Graham, at least he buys ad advertising. So he went to a big stadium that afternoon to hear Billy Graham speak because he bought advertising. When the invitation was given, he thought that the whole program was as dumb and as planned as he had and canned as he thought it would be. And to his utter shock, he heard a rustle beside him when the invitation was given and his wife was actually rising up to walk down the aisle and to go forward. He reached over and caught her skirt and pulled her down beside him and said, don't make a fool out of yourself. She turned and slapped him in the face. And she said, you do what you want to with your life. I know what I'm going to do with mine. And with a flood of tears down the aisle she went. He sat there and wondered how they would resolve this. Then when they got back to their hotel room, they entered into a strange conversation. She said, Ben, I'm not going to live the way we've been living anymore. I'm going to go back home and I'm going to go back to church again. And if we're going to have a home, you're going to go to church too. He said, I'm not going to church. But he said, I will go to Sunday school. He said, at least that was a happy memory. I hear all these people talk about not going to Sunday school now because they had to go when they were a child. I'll tell you this, for everyone who doesn't go now because he had to go when he was a child, there's 10,000 that go now because they did have to go when they were a child. And Ben came back to Kingsport and he went to Sam Anderson who had the little brown house over here. He went to his Sunday school class and he listened. And when they came to this particular passage in the Gospel of John, Ben Hayden was converted.
he became a Christian. And those of us who have heard him preach know that he is not lacking in Christian conviction. And he preaches the gospel forcefully and with power. And yet when you look into this story, this dramatic episode and event, and it is an event, just as much as the Exodus is an event or any other event in scripture, you see something so powerful and so dramatic that it does make a man stop and think, would he believe it if he had actually been there and seen it with his own eyes? There were people who didn't believe it, who saw it. Because when our hearts are dead spiritually, we will not yield them to God. And not even one brought back from the dead, said Jesus, would convince you. He said that himself and it proved to be the truth. This man, Lazarus, was Jesus' friend. We know little about Lazarus, but we do know that his home in Bethany and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, and that his father may have been Simon the leper, one who was cleansed by Jesus, that they must have had a home of some considerable wealth, and to this home, Jesus often repaired. It was only a couple of miles from Jerusalem, and so Jesus would go there sometimes when he was tired, and he found that they received him and welcomed him. And John is careful to explain to us when the word had come to Jesus about Lazarus, that he was a village of the village of Martha and Mary that it was this Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. You see, this event will be told in chapter 12 of the Gospel of John, how Mary of Bethany took this expensive ointment and anointed Jesus' feet with it, that it was really worth 300 denarii. A denarii was the standard wage of a working man for a day. I don't know how much an hour a man gets a day now, but if you figure it at $4 an hour and he works eight hours and that's $32 a day, and you multiply that by 300 times, you can see that this just wasn't an average gift that was lavished on Jesus. It was a very expensive gift, a very expensive gift. It gives us a little bit of an idea of this home and something of the devotion which uh, Mary displayed there when she had placed that ointment on his feet and which made such an impression on John. Well, the sisters prayed. They sent to Jesus. We've been studying the Lord's Prayer, which begins and, and but ends very abruptly. The doxology at the end of the Lord's Prayers I printed for you in the bulletin is one that comes from the Old Testament, from the book of Chronicles, chapter 29, and uh, was not a part of the original text, which was probably added later. Uh, but there is great authority for it. The, uh, the open-ended Lord's Prayer is put there so that we will ascribe our praise to him. His is the kingdom, his kingly reign. His is the power. And his is the glory that we ought to be seeking. When we seek our glory, we mess everything up. 
And that's exactly what's wrong with so much of the work in the church today and so much so-called Christian work. We want to glorify God, but we want a 10% commission of that glory. And it just doesn't work that way. And so that ascription is very well chosen and very well placed there. Now then, back to this. The sisters therefore sent to Jesus and said, Lord, he whom you love is sick. That's all. And when Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. That means that even the tragedy of sickness can be turned into glory for God. That the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now, uh, this is phrased in an unusual way. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. It's put that way. When therefore he heard that he was sick, this is strange, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now that's a strange thing. They get the message, your friend whom you love is sick. Then you get the explanation that this is the Mary and the Martha and the Lazarus uh, whom Jesus greatly loved, and yet the strange statement is made that he stays two days longer after he received this word. Why? God's delays are not denials, and it's important for us to remember that. God's delays are not denials. There are some things that a little child, six or seven years of age, cannot understand at that age. When they're 16 or 17, they can understand much more, but there are still some things that they do not understand that you have to explain to them. And then some of us who are in our 50s and 60s and on past that still come to things where God teaches us things a long life. I often have young people who come to me and say, you older people never understand younger people. Let me tell you this, us older people have been young. You younger people have never been old. <laughs> There's a difference, <laughs> and, and it's well worth remembering. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and are you going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? Uh, that's a, a day like we've got today, a, sort of a spring winter day. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend, Lazarus, has fallen asleep, but I go that I may awaken him out of sleep. I love that, because it softens something of the harshness and the bitterness that comes to us with death. Our friend, Lazarus, has fallen asleep, 
but I go that I may awaken him out of the sleep. And the disciples don't catch on very quickly. The disciples therefore said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will recover. And then, Je now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. And then Jesus plainly said to them, Lazarus is dead. And let me tell you, if you received those words today about someone whom you loved or you experienced it, the whole world would change for you quickly. Lazarus is dead. And he says, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. That's another strange statement. So that you may believe, but let us go to him. And then Thomas, in his melancholy way, says, let us also go with him that we may die. If he goes back there, they're going to put him to death, so let's go with him that we may die. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. And then we know that Bethany is just a couple of miles like Black Mountain away. Then many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary. The number of people who were there weeping, by the way, gives you an idea of something of uh, the wealth that this household may have had because Jews hired mourners to come. And the more people that came to a place where someone was and were mourning would mean some very uh, wealthy person or some very prominent person. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went out to meet him. Now, this is strange. We always uh, kind of make life rough on Martha because she was the one who uh, was a little bit put out with Mary for not working in the end of John chapter 10. And uh, then the contrast between Martha and Mary is always brought up. And it's not really a fair contrast. Uh, um, Martha and Mary both had their particular gifts, and uh, Jesus chided her, and rightly so, because in, John, in Luke chapter 10, uh, she's more concerned about some big elaborate meal than she is about uh, the thing that has to take place there uh, with his teaching, and uh, Mary was not as concerned about the big elaborate meal. But we've often criticized Martha uh, too severely for that. For here, she says the greatest thing that uh, she could possibly say. Martha, therefore, said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask God, God will give to, to you. And then Jesus said to her, your brother shall rise again. And then Martha says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Now watch what Jesus does. He personalizes a doctrine. This is realized resurrection. Jesus said, I know he will rise, Martha said, I know he will rise again at the last day at the resurrection. And then Jesus says the most powerful and tremendous words to me that he ever said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. 
Do you believe this? And listen to what Martha, who gets criticized, says. Yes, Lord. I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God. That's only the second time that uh, important designation is made in the Gospel of John, and Martha uses it here. Even he who comes into the world, that is, the Messiah. And when she had said this, she went away and called Mary, and then Mary comes and says almost the same thing. You get the impression that they had been talking about this, so much so that it is almost like a record in their mind because both of them say the same thing practically. Uh, she rose up quickly, came out to meet Jesus and said almost the same thing. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. The Lord does not always answer prayer in the way that we want prayer answered. And he does this as an affirmation of his deity when he brings this answer to pass. He had not yet come into the village, and when he got there, the uh, people uh, who are weeping, uh, the Jews then who were with her in the house, consoling her, they were surprised when Mary had left to go and meet Jesus. And then when they, uh, uh, when Jesus therefore saw her uh, weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And then we have those two powerful words, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. We know that he wept over the city of Jerusalem, the whole city, when he came on the brow of the city. Here, Jesus wept. This tells us not only of his humanity, but that there are plenty of human beings who can weep. But not all of them are this sympathetic. Why did he weep? He knew that that whole graveyard was full of sorrow and broken hearts and grief. And his heart is touched by our grief. And Jesus wept. And that says to us when our friends go through sorrow, we're not to go up to them and say, oh, you're a Christian, don't weep. You're a Christian, you do what God gave your emotions to do. If he moves you to weep, you weep. You're not told in the Bible not to weep. We're told not to sorrow as those who have no hope. And there's a big difference in that. And so the Jews were saying, behold how he loved him. But some of them said, well, couldn't this man have, who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man also from dying? And Jesus, therefore, again deeply moved within him, came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and he told them to remove the stone. The Jews buried within 24 hours. They didn't have our death and dying uh, 
customs that we have today. There was no embalming. And the odor of death was particularly offensive to them. And so a person who died, by the way, that still is observed by Jews. Uh, they're to be uh, buried within 24 hours. And so Jesus said, remove the stone. And Martha, again, very practical, said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be a stench. He's been dead for four days. And Jesus said, didn't I tell you you would see the glory of God. And so they removed the stone. And then Jesus prays. And he says, Father. Father, I thank thee that thou heardst me. I knew thee that thou hearest me always. Because of the people standing around me, I said it that they may believe that thou didst send me. And then when he had said these words, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And I love Matthew Henry's comment at this point. If he had not designated Lazarus, the whole graveyard would have come forth. Because he had that power. And he who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings. They were wrapped around his uh, body. Uh, and Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. Many therefore of the Jews who had come to Martha and to Mary beheld what he had done and believed in him, but some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And then do you know what these hard-hearted people did? They plotted to kill Jesus and to put Lazarus to death again. Because many people were believing because of it. That's why there was such a big crowd on Palm Sunday. They wanted to see the one who had brought Lazarus back from the dead. So Ben Hayden's words, if I'd been there and seen it with my own eyes, I would not have believed it. What makes you think you would have? And yet God brought him to a place of belief. And God can bring you to a place of belief too. There are people who are dead spiritually who can hear the songs about Jesus and the words of Scripture, but who are dead. They are not alive to spiritual things. They are defeated. They still have the old grave clothes clinging to them. That's why Jesus said, go take those things off of him. They still have those evil habits of their old life clinging to them. But the people who really come alive, who hear the voice of the Son of God and respond to it, these are dangerous people. That's why the Pharisees wanted to kill Lazarus. 
And when a person is dangerous, he is one of those who is a real live witness like that Ben Hayden for the Lord who comes back in great, powerful, witnessing power for Jesus. I can remember a friend of mine who lived near the Clyde uh, in Scotland. That's near Glasgow, and it's one of the great shipbuilding areas. And he said that uh, during World War II, he was a teenager, and he used to watch the uh, the keel being laid for the building of ships when the British were trying to put up a fight against the Germans in the early days of World War II. And he said when the keel was laid, there was no activity from German bombers at all because they knew it would take a year and a half, maybe two years, to build a big aircraft carrier. But they let the keel go ahead and be laid. They let the framing be put up and then the superstructure in the ship and then as it began to take form and begin to near completion, then the observation planes would come over. And then after that would come the bombers. And there are some people who don't have to worry about being killed for Jesus because they're not worth killing. They're no threat to anyone. They're not dangerous. But Lazarus was a dangerous witness to the power of the Son of God, and that's why they wanted to put him to death. Many of you have heard me often read from Ian McLaren's little book, Beside the Bonnie Briar Bush. But in that, there is a paragraph that has always stuck with me because I, too, am a minister. Because there was a minister who was blind spiritually, and there was an elder later who became an elder in the free church in this little city in Scotland, little tiny town that we once visited. He was such a man of God and so deeply moved by the hymns and the communion that a new minister who came to that church one day asked him how he had gotten converted. And he told him this story. And in the story, he also tells how we can become dead and blind spiritually. Donald Menzies said, Sore sickness came upon me, and I was nigh unto death, and my soul awoke within me, and I began to cry like a child for its mother. All my days I had lived on Loch Tay. It's a beautiful lake in Scotland. And now I thought of the other country into which I would have to be going and where I had no rest and my soul would be driven to and fro like the darkness in the darkness as a bird on the moor of the Rannoch. Janet, that's his wife, sent for the minister and he was very kind and he spoke about my sickness and he spoke about my farm and I said nothing, for I was hoping he would tell me what I was to do for my soul. But he began to talk about the sheep market in the nearby town, and I knew that he was also in the dark. And after he left, I turned my face to the wall and wept. 
Now that's to teach us not to be blind spiritually. And it's to teach us to listen to the voice of God. People always ask why Jesus wept. He called Lazarus back into this world. He called him back because he would be a useful witness and testimony to the gospel. There's no legend that years later Lazarus went to preach and he went as far away as Athens. And the Romans were in authority there. And they arrested Lazarus. And they told him that if he did not stop preaching about Jesus, they were going to put him to death. And they kept threatening him, the Roman officer, but the threats didn't work because the last line of the play says that when the Roman centurion threatened him and said, don't you know that we are going to put you to death? Lazarus laughed. And that's what the Christian can have too. He knows that victory has been won for him through Jesus Christ. And if you've not yielded your life to him, you can now.